And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic. This is Talk of the Devils, the Athletics podcast dedicated to Manchester United, and here we go again. After a week where it was beginning to feel a little bit better, we were brought crashing back down to earth by that 1-0 defeat to Crystal Palace. Andy Mitten and Laurie Whitwell are here to reflect on that. We'll look ahead to Galatasaray and we'll talk about the whole situation for Manchester United and exactly where this season goes from here. But um, good evening, gentlemen. It's quarter to nine on Sunday night. We decided to get this over and done with, so here we are. How are you feeling about it, Laurie? Yeah, let's rip the plaster off. <laughs> yeah, quite literally. Andy? Disappointed. Just been a pretty bad weekend, and uh, hopefully this podcast won't be too downbeat. We'll try and raise a smile from somewhere. I'm just not sure where at the moment. No, it's amazing that you can watch Manchester City get beat by Wolves and Liverpool, and all their VAR controversy and a last gas on goal to lose a game for them can't even cheer you up. That's saying something, isn't it? Um, we were all there at Old Trafford on Saturday. What went wrong, Laurie? In some ways, I think that feels like the worst defeat they've had so far, and they've had quite a few of them, obviously. Yeah, I think the worst defeat because it felt like there was familiar patterns there about why United had lost. So you could maybe, with other defeats, say that there was a quirk of circumstance. You know, with the Arsenal one, you know, that was you know uh, hair's width away from being a win, maybe. And then the Spurs one, there was positive moments, and then ultimately the you know change of system by Postacoglu uh, altered the momentum. So similarly with the Brighton one as well, and you kind of think, well, okay, Brighton are actually a really good team, and then they go and get spanked 6-1 by Aston Villa, so <laughs> even that loss yeah. uh, on reflection isn't looking as good, or you know, is, is looking worse than it was, rather. The Palace one was just quite deflating because it ended with United out of ideas, really. I mean, I don't know how many ideas they had during the game, um, to be honest, but... It, it was part of the issue, yeah, really, wasn't it? It finished with it being, you know, even worse. I suppose, I mean, they, you know, they could have equalised, they could have maybe nicked it. But I thought Mark Critchley's piece was really accurate about it, actually, in that, you know, he said that last season um, they won 13 games by a one-goal margin. No team won more games um, by that sort of, you know, the slenderest of margins. And and this was just the f- flip side of that coin, really, where you know. United don't really create that many. They certainly don't score that many. You know, their goals record from last season wasn't great and it's it's even worse this season. So I think that's probably what the most deflating thing is. It's difficult to see how this turns around anytime soon just because United basically had you know, their, their best players out there in an attacking sense. Okay, Anthony and Jaden Sancho, you know, at least one of those will be back fairly soon. Um maybe they'll alter the situation a little bit. But it's not like you're waiting on Anthony coming back and thinking, right, here's this guy that's been tearing it up on the pitch um, for, for many months. So, yeah, it felt like a situation that, that's going to be very tough to remedy. Andy? I couldn't find a single Crystal Palace fan outside the away end before the game yesterday who felt their team was going to get a point, let alone a win. And I spoke to several of them. And I obviously spoke to Manchester United fans as well. 
I think people expected a repeat of the midweek win, despite there being more changes. Palace were missing seven players, seven players who would have been expected to start if they would have all been fit. I mean, that's really worrying when you hear stuff like that. When Palace went ahead, that was the first time they'd scored in the first half all season. And I don't have that much confidence when Manchester United go behind. I feel that heads drop, tension rises. Part of me is like, it's Manchester United at Old Trafford. It will build and build and it will result in goals. And all it resulted in was was more possession. And I spoke to some people who worked for Palace after the game and they were like on another day. You know, our goal was being bombarded. Um, and I think uh, Onana only made one save from Will yeah. Hughes in, in the second half. It was awful. It was an awful day. The weather was awful. And... Back to your first point about it feeling like the most disappointing result. I, I agree with you. you know, losing narrowly at Arsenal, who are a top team, it's going to happen. Tottenham, looking like a top team. But United played very well in the first half there. Brighton, it was like, yep, novelty team at the moment. That statement looks a bit weak and now they've been battered by, by Aston Villa. Bayern Munich, one of the best teams in the world. But we're now seven games in and United have lost four of them. This is the, the worst... Highest number of defeats since since 89. Got nine points. Uh, Oli Gunnar's team had nine points at the start of 1920. And it's not good enough. It's as simple as that. And the manager knows that. Um, I'm bored watching Manchester United. I don't think this is a team which is exciting. I don't think going to the match is particularly enjoyable. I'm not someone who thinks United deserve to win all the time. But as well as hanging, under sitting underneath a big heavy cloud yesterday of rain, there's still that cloud of the Glazer ownership. And I just feel like it sets the mood on so many things and it's there all the time. And everything points back to that and to them being in charge and they can push back and say, a lot of money's been spent on recruitment. And when you lose at home to Palace, the recruitment doesn't look quite so smart. United have had a lot of injuries, absolutely. I know that Eric Tanag thinks they're not actually playing that badly and they do a little bit of luck. But I know what I feel when I sit there. And I just feel this is so disappointing, so underwhelming. Partly because it's Manchester United, you expect you expect more. Partly because last season was encouraging and you expect the team to kick on. But is that just wishful thinking? Because you assume that things are going to get better. Now the manager's been in there longer. Now he's brought in more of his players, you know, his own specific striker and, and goalkeeper. But it's been dire so far this season. There's loads of time for it to change, but four defeats after seven games. You know, this idea that the most optimistic side of me had of, about pushing City a bit more this <laughs> year, it, it seems you know, completely inaccurate. You're making a really good point in there, Andy. Laurie, who's enjoying themselves at the moment? It just doesn't feel very fun. It doesn't feel like there's much joy with my, this Manchester United team right now. I suppose it feels quite workmanlike because it's a pressurised situation. You know, you can have more fun when you are in a good vein of form and you understand where your teammates are going to be and you can kind of be a bit creative and off the cuff. It feels like there's a lot of tension perhaps in, in uh, United's play. And, and, well, you know, from the, I don't know, from maybe Carrington, from the, from the coaching sessions and then into the games and then after the games and you're kind of going around, you know, the players after the game uh, on Saturday, 
you know, went round and kind of applauded the fans that were still there. But it, it felt, you know, like it's an obligation, isn't it? It's difficult, you know. You, well, you there weren't think, many left, were there? Well, that's either. it. Yeah, yeah. you sort of think fair, fair play to the, for the players for still, you know, doing that. And, and Hoyland, I think, gave his shirt to to fans. I mean, he he's obviously enjoying probably his too strong a word, maybe, because he just wants to score and and do well. But he's clearly reveling in the fact that he's playing for Manchester United. He's been good. Like I. I I'd struggle to blame him for for any of the issues that United have got at the moment. I feel sorry for him that he's not he's not really being given the chances that he needs to to score the goals to win games for United. That that's the major issue, isn't it? It's the creativity in this team. It's the decision making, Andy. When it comes to key passes, it's just not there. It's not right, is it? And the end result is not enough goals are being scored. Yeah, on the goals. I mean, seven goals from their opening matches. When you look at the rest of the Premier League. Unbelievably, there's seven teams that have scored double the number of goals that Manchester United have scored. I mean, Brighton have scored 19 goals so far this season already. Um, but the the XG, even in, in Critch's article that Laurie was referring to before, Andy, I mean, 11.3 is their XG. So that's the number of, of goals statistically that United would have been expected to have scored 11 so far this season from the, the quality of the chances they've created. They're just way below that. United are struggling to break teams down. and We should credit Crystal Palace for the way that they defended yesterday. Roy Hodgson, when you get a record as good as his at Old Trafford, that's not luck. That is intelligent management of the players that you've got. But with respect to, to Hughes and Decore, who both had exceptional games, they are not elite top-end Champions League midfielders. And Manchester United are at home on a big pitch and labouring to break them down yet again. Now, let's forget the cup game. We're seeing trends in most matches now. Manchester United start brightly. Marcus Rashford starts brightly. He cuts in. He bundles his way towards goal. But the end product from Rashford, from Hoyland even, from Palestre, from Fernandez, it's just not there. And that leaves you with the goals tally that Manchester United have got. Hoyland almost prodded United ahead very early on. And there was a very good goal line clearance. Palace had all the luck there. But then, what about United against Wolves? You know, we can we can argue for and against who's had luck so far this season. The end result is that Manchester United are a mid-table team. And it could only be worse if you're Chelsea, who are even worse than Manchester United. I do think standards are rising across the Premier League. I think competition is tougher, but that is such a weak excuse when... You are Manchester United and Eric Tenag's getting a bit of stick, as he will do when his team are underperforming. He said specifically after the game um, that he would expect that. You would expect to beat Crystal Palace at home. And again, in isolation, you can stomach that. You know, Wolves got beat at, um, Wolves beat Manchester City at the weekend. But what we're seeing is trends, and that really worries me. We're seeing Anthony Marshall come on again, fail to un- to, to, to impress and it just worries me there's more bad news coming all the time we've just heard that Lissandro Martinez is going to need another operation the situation at left back is just becoming a joke you're bringing in left backs on loan and now they get injured I felt that Amrabat looked like a very good left back against Palace in the Cup and a very bad one against Palace in the league and there's just a lot of negatives around and it all filters into the mood and it's a pretty glum place, Old Trafford, at the moment. Yeah, that's exactly how it felt on Saturday, certainly. I mean, on Amrabat, he should have been sent off, to be honest. He tried grabbing hold yeah. of the ball twice uh, in situations where he felt like he had to 
retrieve it that way. Um, he looked so assured in the cup against Palace, and it was almost the exact opposite. Uh, and the free kick, I mean, Laurie, I think, did we joke about the one he gave away with about 15 seconds to go <laughs> yeah. at Burnley, Burnley in a very yeah. similar position? Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, he, he's making his first ever Premier League start. You know, he's at Old Trafford. I'm sure he's trying to make his impact on the game, and that's why maybe the, the challenge is a, is a little over eager. But like you said before, I think it's just difficult to know how they get out of this. The only way they get out of it is with time and with scoring goals and more creativity and more confidence and it and it grows that way. But that's quite hard to see that path forward at the moment, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you mentioned Amrabat in that free kick and it's obviously, um, you know, it's not down to him that United then go and concede the goal there, but... It's a dangerous area of the pitch, and you've got Jordan Ayew, whose <laughs> modus operandi is basically get the ball, run with it a bit, slow down, invite the tackle, and not even a tackle, just any kind of presence, and he goes over. Like he wins free kicks, he's like an absolute expert at it in the Premier League. So, and he did that time and again. And I suppose that's why, that's where you've got a new person into the Premier League. He doesn't know how Jordan Ayew plays necessarily. So he would have been know, told, though, wouldn't he? Surely. I don't know. Well, this is this is this is kind of the question you want to sort of ask, ask you know, drill down into really, and yeah. ask people: um, Is this the kind of stuff you were discussing before the game, or was it all about being on the ball and you know moving into midfield as you did against Palace in the League Cup and and, and sort of progressing from there? Um, yeah, you're sure that Roy Hodgson's a wily operator. He, he will have seen stuff happen uh, in the Carabao Cup and then decided to tweak things for the league game as much as he could do with the injuries that he's got, you know, as well. You know, Odson Edward didn't even play for Palace. You know, he's their top scorer this season. Um and they still won. That I think that's that's the concerning thing, isn't it? That you're up against a team that is fine. You know, it's not but it's not a it's not a great team. It's not necessarily a you know a, a team that's gonna go and beat other teams away from home like this. No, and the other thing uh, yes, Palace were, were were rigid, they were organised, they were disciplined, they were all the things that you'd need to be when you when you're setting up in a low block at Old Trafford, but it didn't even feel like they played that well in a way. Uh, maybe I'm, maybe I'm sort of not giving them enough credit for that. But you know, it was just watching the same, the same pattern of play, Andy. Really, wasn't it? And United just trying to find different ways. It just doesn't. I don't know. You, to me, it felt a lot like the start of the season with Mason Mount coming back. That that midfield not quite working. And I'm not putting it on Mason Mount because actually I thought certainly in the first half he he was looking as likely as anyone to produce that little bit of interplay or that little bit of movement to provide the breakthrough. But it's just not working, is it, that midfield, I don't think? I think we saw a regression from Casemiro after a couple of decent games. And that is worrying because I sensed that he was coming back into form, but some of his passing was very good and some of it was absolutely atrocious. Palace did exactly what they needed to do and they rode the luck, of course they did. But for them to win away... Old Trafford was was a huge result for them. And I mentioned DeCorey and Hughes. All they did was sit in front of a flat back four and soak up all Manchester United's pressure. And again, they're not the best midfielders in the world. So what's going to happen when Manchester United come up against even stronger teams? I thought the efforts were raised a little bit in the second half after a, a terrible first half. I mean, it just took me back to that Van Hall nonsense. It was that bad. I'm not getting fully on Eric Ten Hag's case because if you ask me now, I think United fans should get fully behind him. I think he's a good manager. He's having a rough spell at the moment. He'll have other rough spells at the moment. 
People talk back to 89. Well, that was Sir Alex Ferguson in charge. So, feels disappointing at the moment. There's lots of games coming up, so he can turn things around pretty quickly. You've got Galatasaray. I'm looking at Brentford and going, whoa, because they're not a bad side, although the record at Old Trafford is, is pretty poor. But I'm worried about so many individuals. Palestre's had, he's had good minutes now and he's done all right. But you need to do better than doing all right when you're playing for Manchester United. You need to be scoring goals. You need to be making game-changing uh, moves, match-winning moves. I think that's confirmed, hasn't it, with Palistri, what we all suspected. Yeah. But it was yeah. we, we felt like we needed to see him start a couple of games and maybe we're you know, writing off too soon. But I think we, you know, it's been three years, hasn't it, at United and you've had multiple managers that have kind of been thinking this way and he's he's made an impact off the bench and maybe that's, that's, maybe that's his role, you know, off the bench and... And you know, providing that kind of last ten minutes of energy, because to as you say, to get break down a team like that, he, he dribbles with the ball quite well, but then doesn't really go anywhere with it, and and that's that's an issue when you you know you're playing for Man United. Yeah, it was his first ever Premier League start. That nearly three years to the day since joining. Um, so uh, yeah, again, it's that position. There's a question mark over. Uh, we understand that Anthony now will will return to training for Manchester United, so you know we'll see when. Yeah, he's trained today again. Yeah, we'll see when he is um, he's ready to play again. Um, just before we move it on, then Martinez, uh, Larry, what's the details on this exactly? Yeah, it's um, an interesting one that we might need to sort of drill down a little bit more into as as the days go on, just because it's an operation on that broken metatarsal you know back in April that he did against Sevilla he had a surgery on it at the time and it looked like it had sorted itself out and obviously he came back in pre-season but you could tell that something wasn't quite right it wasn't quite playing at the same intensity and I think for the games against Bayern Munich and, and Brighton it, it already kind of had an impact there um, taking painkilling to play on that one uh, but he wasn't right and yeah the diagnosis now is that he's going to need another operation on it so the time frame for him being out looking at the same kind of period as originally which was th- it was three months from when he did the injury to then when he played for United in pre-season so I think you're looking at a similar kind of time frame there maybe a little bit sooner if it goes well but then again it's the same injury so you don't want to rush it back and, and cause it to happen again so yeah I mean that's a really concerning development United have got at least they've got, you know, Varane, Lindelof, Maguire, Evans. They have got four centre backs, but it's not a. Y- y- Martinez was the kind of was the player that Tenag brought in to really impact how they could progress the ball from deep, and particularly with Onana, you sort of thought that could be uh, a blossoming relationship uh, from you know their time at Ajax again. But the fact that he's going to be out for several weeks now is um, just just adds to that sense of. How will Ten Hag turn this around? I did wonder actually, as, as we're getting into the later substitutions, and you know he's, he's taking on, so he's taking off Marcus Rashford, putting on Anthony Martial, putting on Donny Van der Beek, putting on Harry Maguire to try and change things around. It's like this is this is where we've got to already at this stage in the season, and and Carl put in that brilliant clip of you with your hood up in the Manchester rainy and um, sort of sat <laughs> behind, kind of, and you, and you just your face said it all. I just wonder what what were you thinking at that moment. Uh, I have no idea, but it looks like the most miserable video of myself that I think I've ever seen. Yeah, it was actually one of our listeners in Norway, Trauma Trolls, uh, one of our listeners in Norway, it was actually, who sent us uh, that video on Instagram, uh, and I reposted it on my stories. I've never had so many people laughing at one of my stories before. Everyone thought it was hilarious. Even Manchester United fans, I guess we've got to cheer ourselves up somehow. You look like that guy out of Star Wars, the one with the hood. 
Yeah. Some is it Darth Sidious or whatever he's called? Darth. I'm just googling it now. You look like remember Everton about a month before David Moyes lost his job or about <laughs> a week. Reaper. The Grim Reaper. I thought you were going to bring out a massive scythe <laughs> and start walking down. I'd be like, "There's Ian off the telly." Well, he's not on it. He's definitely on the telly now. <laughs> <laughs> you were all of us at that oh, moment, dear. Ian. Yeah, I think it just encompassed uh, an emotion, didn't it? Really, that that video. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Well, one positive note for Manchester United was a late turnaround at Villa Park for the women's side in their first game in the WSL. Um, Aston Villa had Kirsty Hansen sent off on 74 minutes, a former Manchester United player, of course, and then Rachel Daly scored for Villa just two minutes after that. 12,500 fans inside Villa Park. It was the biggest attendance ever for a WSL game for Aston Villa. And they sat there and watched Lucia Garcia equalise just three minutes later and then in stoppage time, the way it should be for Manchester United, Rachel Williams playing in her 13th season in the WSL she's played in every single year of it 35 year old veteran striker looping a header into the far corner and a great line actually from post-match as well that she's going to return to being a plasterer after she'd finished playing because she reckons that she's a better plasterer than she is a footballer but she looked a mighty fine footballer with that header to win it for Manchester United Uh, and Lucia Garcia revealed after the game as well that the team had put everything into it there were some dramatic moments during that game. How physically tough was it out there? I mean, I'm so fucking tired. I mean, it was a tough, tough match. We fight and yeah. 
Yeah, I love it when that happens. Really fucking tired, isn't that what we all have united right now? Yeah, the men's senior team aren't bringing it at the moment, that's for sure. Uh, let's preview their next game then, which is Galatasaray on Tuesday. The Champions League back at Old Trafford after a while. And it's a must-win game. Simple as that, isn't it, Larry? Whichever way you look at it, to lift the mood, to improve the picture in the group, to ensure that Manchester United are going to still be in the Champions League next year, it's a must-win, isn't it? Yeah, huge. The way that Galatasaray played in the first game against Copenhagen as well. You know, United should get opportunities and they just have to win the home games against Galatasaray and Copenhagen, you know, possibly even, you know, against Bayern Munich, depending on how things go away. As Andy's already said, you know, United have never won um, in Copenhagen or Galatasaray. So, um, yeah, it's just absolutely essential. And, and just to kind of, as you say, just change the feeling around the place. One win isn't going to do that. You know, it's not going to happen overnight, but I think uh, another draw or defeat would, would really crank up the pressure. United should be beating Galatasaray. It's, it's as simple as that. I know they've been you know out of the Champions League last season, but these are the kind of matches that United have to be winning. Um, and I, you know, you never know. There might be a, a switch that flicks because it's a, a different competition and different atmosphere, different mood around at night. You'd hope that a few of the players would look at the crowd and you know sense that kind of atmosphere and expectation and be invigorated by it and, and really want to go and show what they're made of but yeah it's an absolute must win something needs to click doesn't it Andy definitely I mean whatever game it is whatever competition something needs to click please yeah it does and a top supposedly top Premier League team should be beating a Turkish team but I thought that when Manchester United and Galatasaray first played each other in 1993 and United surged ahead and Galatasaray came back. It was a free-all. Alex Ferguson just said in the press conference after, I'm in shock. And I've written a huge piece about those games in 93 um, because there was a lot of trouble there. The current Galatasaray, they won the league by, by eight points last year. Their supporters are fantastic in terms of how loud they are. We're going to see that in Istanbul. We'll probably see it at Old Trafford. They always come, make an absolute racket uh, in a way which I quite like the fan culture around Turkish football. They've got some big names. People like Wilfred Zahar played at the weekend, the top of the Turkish league again. Uh, Icardi's there. And uh, Musiera, the, the goalkeeper. Hakim Zayic is there as well. Uh, Dries Martins, although he's not been playing all the time. They had to come through three different qualifying rounds just to get into the Champions League group stage. So one of the teams he knocked out was Molde, who Ole Gunnar Solskjaer used to manage. Uh, they beat a Lithuanian team as well. They beat a Slovenian team too. And it's pretty normal for Turkish teams to have to come through some qualifying rounds. But as Laurie says, it is an absolute must win. It was probably a good result that they only drew with Copenhagen in that, that first was. game. So United need to be winning the, these these home matches. And to not get out of this group, you know, with respect to Copenhagen, who are the, probably the biggest club in Scandinavia, certainly the best supported club. Galatasaray, the, the biggest club in Turkey with respect to Fenerbahce, Besiktas, etc. United should really be getting out of this group. Uh, it's the first time they've played since 2012. I'll make you smile, right? When United played there in 2012, match day six, right? United qualified quite easily because that's what the team did then. And afterwards, a local journalist said, Mr. Ferguson, and he had all these local journals with him. He said, you left here in 1993 disappointed, and now you're here, you leave disappointed again. Has anything changed in 19 years? And Ferguson, 
He didn't snap back at him. He just smiled and said, yeah, well, we've been champions of Europe twice. And then he smiled, but he wasn't finished. He said, oh, we've also reached the final twice. And we've also qualified for the knockout stages as group winners tonight. Yourselves? And he just smiled, stood up and walked out the room. And it was just the most polite, fantastic put down to a journalist <laughs> who tried to be smart with him. Yeah, and have a bit of like courage because he's got all his friends around him yeah. in his in his own uh, in his own backyard. What about changes to the team then, Laurie? Do you, do you see many? Do you think people should have question marks about the starting spots considering the the run of form that United are on? I mean, I'm getting sort of friends telling me that you know Marcus Rashford needs to be dropped and Bruno Fernandes needs to be dropped, and they would be two huge calls. I mean, I, I was I wasn't surprised, I suppose, because because Rashford wasn't having. Uh, the most effective game against Palace, but he was still brought off with 30 minutes to go, and United needed goals, and he's he was last season United's most lethal, probably only um, kind of reliable goal scorer that you had um, with with Fernandez having a little bit of a dip in that, in that front. I suppose that just speaks to Ten Hag feeling like it wasn't working for him. So I mean, he's not going to drop him from the start. There's just there's just no way. Um, I mean, because the, the alternative is bring Garnacho in on the left, and I think again he's he's a player that really does have his best moments when he's been brought on as a substitute. And I think he he was quite lively, wasn't he, against Palace? I'm I mean, not make, sure make... Ten Hag trusts him enough to start him in this Garnacho. sort of yeah, situation no. either, really. No. It's especially ahead of Rashford. No, I mean, we had this situation again where the crowd was singing his name. He's obviously very popular um, and he you know he enjoys it. He, he gave them an applause backwards. And, and, but I think Ten Hag is, is, is resistant, I suppose, to throwing him in sort of with, with that faith element to it. I think he, he wants to put him in when he knows what he's going to get from him. I mean, maybe, could I mean, could you start Mason Mount on the right? Bruno is, is number 10 still. and Because and, I, th- I thought Mount was actually pretty good. I know you said about the first half. I thought even on the, in the second half, he had some decent moments. And it was that tackle that, that triggered um, the, the ball for Garnacha that then he sort of dribbled it into that yeah. same kind of space as Rashford had done against Brighton. And, it, and the ball nearly trickled in again, a couple of deflections. So... You know, and and that's that's one of the aspects that you want from a, a Ten Hag team, where you've got these players high energy in the final third. Okay, they've lost the ball, but they're winning it back straight away, and they're kind presumably of presumably that's what Mount was bought for, wasn't it? Yeah. So I wonder if he starts on the right. I mean, I know you touched on Anthony earlier. Um, he's he's trained Saturday, he's trained you know today Sunday. I'm sure he'll train again uh, on Monday with his open training session for the first 15 minutes to the media um, at midday t- uh, on Monday. So you, you'll be able to see you know a little bit there. And I, I would be surprised if he's not included in the squad. I think Tanag will be looking to get him you know included as soon as possible because you know, he does know what he's going to get from him. Um, but I think maybe that's the one tweet you could make where you have maybe Mount on the right and and um, you know sort of alter the midfield a little bit. Yeah, we should point out at this point that the investigations are still ongoing into Anthony. Of course, he's facing allegations of assault, allegations which are denied. You can read more about that on The Athletic. Just going back to Marcus Rashford, Andy, Laurie said there that he's got people telling him that they think that Rashford should be dropped. I mean, he, he certainly seems to be having a bit of a, a crisis of confidence in his own decision-making. It seems like the more he tries to take the right choice, it just becomes more wrong in a way at the moment. I think he's starting games well. You see him looking up for it and, and running at players, but he's bumbling through them. He, he scored one goal in eight games, Ian. And mm-hmm. that, that is a is a poor return. And Loris saying talking to his friends and 
I was talking to fans outside the ground yesterday and some of them were very critical of Marcus Rashford. Maybe it's because people are harder on their own. Maybe it's because... I was going to say, what, why what do you think earns? he's getting it more than other players? Because he does seem to be a focus of it. Even the he groans does. inside the stadium seem to be only safe for Marcus Rashford. And it's not like he's the only one who's not finding top form. In fact, you know, I talked about it on the pod a couple of weeks ago, interviewing him, you can see he's carrying Manchester United's problems on his shoulders like we would. You know, I don't think there's anyone who carries it more than him. Why, why do you think he is getting this much stick? Because of his wages, because people think he should be the best player, because you measure strikers or forwards by how many goals they do or don't score, because there could be a perception that when he needs to earn a new contract, his form tends to pick up. And when he signs one, his form tends to drop off. A few people mentioned your interview with him to me. They'd actually made a good point that when he looks up to pass to people, there isn't a huge array of options there. And I think that is a fair, a fair point. Definitely. And we can talk about who's going to play, what system, etc. I think whoever plays, United have just got a... Someone has got a click back into place. You know, collectively, it's just not been happening. We're seeing five, six, seven players struggling in every game. And, and ironically, in 1994, United needed a good win in Europe and a team called Galatasaray came to Old Trafford. But it was already too late because the team had failed uh, earlier on in in, um, in the group stage. And a lad called David Beckham was given a chance. I don't know what he went on to do. Uh, him and a lad called Simon Davis, who I used to play against when I was a young footballer, he was like one of the best free players in my league and he played and United beat Galatasaray 4-0 and even though it was a dead rubber game, uh, it was quite a famous game as well. And I think United need that again. I think United need to to play well. A bit like against Palace in the Cup last week. Yeah. just You thought that was a remedy really, did. didn't you? That, that feel-good sort of element and the control and the ease in which they seem to win the game. They need to get in front, Andy, don't they? Yeah. But to me, the first goal is obviously always important in football. It's one of the oldest cliches, but it feels like this Manchester United team in particular for their confidence and belief need to get in front, but also for the, the transition that Eric Ten Hag is working towards to fully work as well. It feels like they need to have the noses in front to pull the other team out to then play to United's strength. You say confidence, and I think it's a big factor. When this team yeah. go behind, the heads drop. You can see the way that the the team style uh, changes. Before the goal yesterday, you saw Casemiro dropping right back between the two central defenders. This was what was being worked on in training. It's a very Dutch thing. It's a very Ten Hag way of playing football. And it's harder to do that when you're behind. It's all right saying you're going to be patient. At some point, you are bringing on Anthony Martial and Donny van der Beek and Harry Maguire because you're panicking because you're about to lose at home to, to Crystal Palace. And unfortunately, if Galatasaray went ahead, the mood will just sink again. It really will. Mm. The, the Patience is thinning. With individuals, you mentioned Marcus Rashford. Um, and with the manager, which is natural. Any football manager would is right to be critiqued when they don't do well. I still think if you asked United fans now, would you back the manager? I think 90% would say yes. I really feel that there's a lot of strong support for him and even some sympathy because he's having to do this under the Glazers. He's not getting his um, the, the signings he really wants. The player he really wanted more than anybody else was Harry Kane. And in years gone by, I think Manchester United would have made a better fist of getting Harry Kane 
uh, maybe when financial fair play wasn't as prevalent and the Glazers weren't around as much, but he's dealing with his second best option. So we're, we're, we're relying on a 20-year-old lad who looks very talented and is looking good, but he's still not Harry Kane, is he? And if Harry Kane would have played against Crystal Palace at the weekend, it's all ifs and buts, but you do sense one of them chances would have been put away. Do you know another player I think United are missing? Oh, well, they can't really miss Harry King because they never had him, but a player I think United are missing, Laurie, in these particular matches as well is Luke Shaw. He had such an impact from left-back, breaking down teams and creating opportunities. And um, do, do we know when he's he's going to be back? Because obviously he'd be straight back in the team, wouldn't he? No yeah. question, at, at left centre-half or left-back. Yeah, I think the original uh, prognosis was about three months. So are we what, a month into that, five weeks into that? Is that so, all? Yeah. So we're not we're not close to him coming back, I don't think. You know, it's still, you know, working his way to full recovery. Um yeah, and I think maybe that's you could you could possibly uh bracket that into Rashford's form because him and Rashford had such a good understanding, underlapping, overlapping. Um so, so you th- you think it, it must be difficult for Rashford to play on the left when you've then got, you know, I'm, you know, how many different left backs has he played in front of? And I'm not saying that's that should absolve him of criticism but it, I think it maybe is a, a, a reason um, you know if, you, if you're not being able to rely on someone going past you on, on the overlap then you can cut in and, and do those shots whilst you, you know the defender's kind of um, distracted so I think that's one aspect um, and, and what, one thing on the Rashford and, and Hoyland sort of relationship which is something that I think is clearly crucial to United you know switching out of this form um, he did he was the one wasn't he that played that kind of long ball over the top for, for Hoyland's chance in the first half, which he then tried to do again um, later on in the first half. I think it didn't quite come off, but that's clearly something that they're they're looking at where, you know, you've got Rashford on the left and he can probably sweep that ball um, for Hoyland to chase on. So it's probably not the most sophisticated of attacking plans, but, you know, it is, it is something I think you can see that they're, they're, they're looking to try and do. Um, but yeah, I think, I think Shaw is a miss. I mean, these injuries, it's, it's a lot. You know, for for United to deal with, I did a little piece um, before the game where I kind of tried to reflect on some of the reasons for that. I mean, you look at the US tour; United did travel an awful lot of air miles um, in the summer. Um, they've also played more games last season than any other team in Europe. So, is this a kind of uh, an element of of that? Just kind of chickens coming home to roost, almost, and and in a way inevitable. Um, I would always sort of perhaps argue that you could foresee some injuries coming you know if, if, if a player's in the red zone or whatever and I'm sure that United are trying to look to that but then if needs must in certain games and you're kind of asking a player can you can you get out there and do it for me and, and they're saying yeah no I want to help then maybe that's how the injuries happen sometimes but um, it is a lot to, to contend with but what else can they do what, what do you think yeah what do you think Ian can they can they can they tweak midfield I think they could. I think they could introduce Christian Eriksen for this game. I think the the general feel of the Champions League ties, and particularly at home, they're often slower matches, more patient, build-up is required. They, they need players to be able to change the pace of some of Manchester United's build-up as well. It, it felt very one-paced and predictable at times against Crystal Palace. I don't think Eriksen's been, been brilliant so far this season, but at, at least he's got a sense of that that conductor, you know, that, that metronome as, as people refer to some of the midfield players to be able to slow it down and speed it up. And, you know, they need to improve the service into Hoyland as well, one way or another. Bruno Fernandes, I think, was Manchester United's most creative player in that sense at the weekend. But I don't think he had a particularly good game either. And like you were saying before, you know, there's some question marks about him at the moment. Um, 
Something needs to change, definitely. I'm not sure exactly what it is, and I don't think we've cheered anyone up or provided many answers to anyone listening to this podcast either, but we're going to leave it there. Laurie and Andy, thank you so much for sitting with us on a Sunday night. I feel like across Zoom, we've all been holding hands and supporting each other every syllable of this podcast. It does feel a a bit like a support group again, doesn't it? But yeah, thank you for being with us. Thank you for listening at home as well. Remember, if you're not a subscriber to The Athletic and you want to read any of the articles that we've talked about on this podcast, Andy's got a fantastic one coming up about Manchester United's battles with Galatasaray down the years. You know what to do. Go and get yourself a subscription. You can sign up at theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod. It's £1 or $1 a month for the first 12 months. But for the moment, thank you for listening and we'll see you on the next one. Let's hope it's not going to be one of these again. Bye-bye. The Athletic.